Hey everybody, Chris DeSantis here. Uh, you know, if you listen to The Swim Brief, that uh, we don't often do a lot of editing on this podcast, but I am recording this edition several days after Joel and I recorded our podcast. And that's because uh, it came to my attention or I had enough time in between the recording and when I was going to put it up to realize that uh, some additional context needed to be added to this week's podcast. Um, in this week's podcast, we take the news story um, the uh, about Reed Makuta at Auburn University to discuss hypotheticals. Um, we don't get into that case at all, um, because I will say this in, in this, and I think I say several times throughout the originally recorded podcast, we really don't know much about what happened there, except that Makuta has been arrested. Um, and so for me, I think it was important to add this um, addendum because, you know, Joel and I, sometimes when we're doing the podcast, we discuss a topic uh, that we're not fully informed about. And most of the time um, we can be lighthearted about that and that's okay. I think in this case, uh, it's important to add a bit of uh, context. So when Joel and I are discussing, you know, what we would do in a hypothetical situation, uh, something that comes up for both of us is that we both uh, believe we would exclude that person from the activity. We very much obviously do not know about the changes in Title IX uh, regulations, and we got educated on that after the podcast. So I toyed with whether to take the whole section out, but uh, ultimately I decided to leave it in um, because in all honesty, uh, I think that you know, my comments on the podcast, you can take them as reflecting as what I think the regulations should be. Um, that's essentially what they were prior to them changing um, over the last few years. But um, obviously, I, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not advising you about what you actually can do if you're in such a situation. Um, and Lastly, I, I said I would repeat it once, but I'll repeat it once again. Um, we're not commenting on the Auburn case specifically because we don't know what happened. Um, and if I think Joel explains it best when we get into the podcast, but if, you know, the administration, if, if Ryan Wakaburka and his staff at Auburn um, are doing their jobs properly, we really shouldn't know anything except what we know now. Um, so with that said, I hope you enjoy the podcast. I hope you enjoyed another Frank honest conversation and um, enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Swim Brief. Welcome to take two. We recorded about five minutes and technology is just not my friend anymore. But you know who is my friend? Joel Rawlings. Joel, how are you? I'm great. I'm there for you, man. Why can't technology be more like you, Joel? late for everything and uh, unable to do paperwork. I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it can aspire though. It can, it can dream a little dream. This AI pretty soon, it'll be running late for meetings for me. Hey, at least we know if AI was designed like that, so we'd never have a Terminator scenario. You know, right. it just wouldn't, just wouldn't remember to file the paperwork to eliminate humanity. You'd just be like, hey, you meant to eliminate humanity today. And he'd be like, oh, yeah. I forgot. Okay, I thought, I'm I thought definitely you were going to go back to tomorrow. 1984. It's like, ah, eh, it's too far. Eh, I'm good. Yeah. yeah. 2000. We got we to do that time thing, that time travel thing. Oh, 
That's, that's, that's going to be so much how work. Would, how would if I just go yesterday? That'd be nice. Yeah. Um, well, a lighthearted start. We, we've actually got a couple serious topics to discuss. Um, one is, you know, in the news right now. Another one was um, maybe missed by a lot of people a couple of weeks ago, but I've had a couple of listeners uh, talk to me about it. So I want to revisit it. So later, the one we're going to talk about later, that's McGee Moody's uh, appearance on the Brett Hawk podcast. And I want to talk about a specific uh, piece of that. But what we're going to start from the beginning is, um, you know, the the news article that is uh, on fire at Swim Swam right now. Um, and I don't want to actually discuss the specifics of this news article. We're going to kind of use it as a launching off point, but I'll, I'll just read the title. Former Auburn swimmer Reed Makuda arrested for rape in Alabama. And I thought it'd be good for you and I to have a conversation because we've both been um, we've both been in university settings. Um, we've been coaches for a long time. And, you know, there, there's down in the comment section, or as you call it, the Swim Swam Troll Board, um, there's a lot of conjecture about what um, Ryan Wakamurka at Auburn's role was in all of this. Um, so I want to back up and have sort of a more uh, organized conversation about what, what we see as the coach's role when you get information and again, we don't know anything except the fact that this guy has been arrested. We have no details about um, what what Ryan Wakamurka knew and when and any piece of that, which is uh, which is distressing to me as somebody who um, has mentioned him a number of times on this podcast as somebody that I've worked with. But I want to have the conversation about, you know, like you get information like that. And obviously that's. Uh, that's a stressful day <laughs> in the life of a college swim coach. What are you thinking about? You get information like, hey, there's a kid on your team and they've been accused of something like rape. Yeah, I, I, I think, again, it's, it's such a, 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 a tough topic because, again, we, we talk about like the Me Too movement and things where – you don't want to uh, come off and be like, oh, well, I know this person. This person would never do something like that. You right. Know, He's again, a good guy. Yeah. It, you know, exactly. Like right, right away. And it doesn't matter how well you know someone, whether it's like I've known this person since they were six years old, because that's one of those things that does not age well. You know, as soon as you say that and it turns out they were guilty, you know, the, the you know, the people that grew up next to Jeffrey Dahmer, they, they thought, you know, played with dogs, nice kid, whatever. That right. doesn't age really well. Um, right. I, I think the first thing is, obviously, if there's an allegation like this in, in every department that you, you're going to run through the meeting of, you take every allegation like this seriously. It's like as soon as you hear the allegation, then the athlete stops participation in that sport. The sport is uh, a privilege to be a part of. It, it's not a right to be a part of. And it's it's like a, an addition to their academics. And okay, they, sorry. They I want to stop you because I want to stop you at your first point because I actually think yep. there's a little mini conversation to be had about this because I've actually talked to somebody um, who says who said to me like they would not take this first step. So you're saying first step, you have somebody on your team, they've been, you get information like 
you know, and I, I want to be vague about this because I think the ways you can get this kind of information are all over the place, right? You like, you have, you have a scenario though, where it just like comes through to you as a coach, Hey, this individual on your team, so-and-so says that, uh, they raped this other person, right? And your first move is, I'm going to take the accused athlete out, right? I've spoken to somebody who says, you, you, you can't do that because that is you basically rendering like a preliminary judgment against that athlete. That's not fair to that athlete that that sort of violates, you know, like some sort of notion of... Um, you know, innocent until proven guilty, like legal standards, all this stuff. That's the argument that I've heard. I don't agree with it, by the way. I actually would take the same action as you, but I, I guess I'm trying to lead you into what makes you feel so solid as that being your first step. Does That would be my first step because the last uh, university I worked in, um, that that was what we did. It, it was, that was policy, any, right? That so there's, was no, policy. there's no gray area for you. Right. Yeah. Step one is you immediately talk to the Title IX officer and you immediately cease any participation in sport until you get to the bottom of this. And, th- yeah. and that's all there is to it. I think when I, when I was reading the troll board, um, you know, right away, they're like almost insinuating like, you know, they're doing it because they're trying to get a couple more wins or something like that. And, and they, I think the trolls all the time kind of go like it's the movie Blue Chips. You know, like whether right. this is basketball or football here where, you know, we're, we're relying on millions of dollars from this win. It's like we're not. And again, right. it's, it's, it's swimming. Um, and the big thing for us is that, again, it, I, I don't want to make light of the situation at all or make it seem like it's a monetary thing. But the last thing an academic department wants is for sports to become a black eye for the university, you know, in any way, obviously, we think of every tragedy that's happened at you know Penn State, Stanford. And that's the thing is, as soon as we say Penn State, Stanford, right away, the first thing we think of is what happened there. And and so that's that's the thing is, again, it's it's not about um, I, I don't know how to explain it because it is such a, a delicate situation. But we have protocols set up. Step one is they stop activity. Step two is you have Title nine. And you talk with campus police is going to be involved. And we weren't even supposed to call outside police. We were supposed to call campus police first. So those are the the two points I'm making right now is like the protocols are in place and all universities will go through this. And so that'd be step one, step two, title nine and stop and stopping activity until you find out what happened. And also making sure that, you know, campus police is, is aware of this. So again, either direction, whether it's you have an accused offender, um, on, on your program in your program or you have someone in your program that's accusing someone else of something again that happened. Right. I mean, I, I, I want to just want to, I want to keep on going over this point because I have heard argument on this exclusion piece of it. And as I said, I agree with you and I would like, we're not giving legal advice on this podcast. I'm not a lawyer. As far as I know, Joel, you're not a lawyer. Um, You did, you haven't even taken the LSAT. Have you Joel? No, no, I, I'm basically uh, LSAT adjacent. That's about it. <laughs> so 
we're not giving out legal advice. Like I, as far if you want to know what kind of advice we're giving out on this podcast, it's at it's at best uh, moral advice. And I think right. there's a moral standard to be applied here, regardless of whether you have a policy. I look at a situation like this and I am weighing risk. Okay. If somebody on my team is accused of rape, right? Um, do I risk excluding an athlete from practice that in fact did not commit rape? Yes. That is, that is the risk I am taking by excluding that person. But let's, let's view the other, the, the, what is the flip side? The flip side in including is I could be including on my team a rapist. Right. Okay? That's not a risk I want to take. <laughs> the first right. risk, it sucks and it's bad, but I don't think it's equivalent to the second risk. Like, I, I, I just can't, they, they, they can't even exist um, and be judged fairly against one another. So morally, I just think it's the right thing to do. And yeah, you're going to get into some gray space where people may be mad at you. Um, and, you know, God knows it's America. Like you can sue people for any number of things. I'll go down. I'll go down fighting on the piece of exclusion. Um, that's just that's just my take on it. Right. And I, I think uh, when we're talking about exclusion from activity, again, it's it's not like it's a right. It's not like you're taking it away. You're taking a privilege away. And again, when, when we sit through these meetings, the way I, I would think of this is obviously the, the same kind of paradigm that you have as far as like, if guilty, then obviously this is step one. If not guilty, then I would always kind of like kind of explain it to myself and this person put themselves in a situation that is somehow, you know, damaging their reputation. Again, this is if, if they did not, if, if the allegations were incorrect, they're, they right. put themselves into a situation where they've damaged their own reputation. They're damaging, they're potentially damaging the reputation of the program and they're potentially damaging the reputation of the university. So again, there's either way there, there's something obviously where is either criminal or is enough where, it's making us all, you know, look pretty bad right now, which obviously isn't the, the big picture. The big picture is someone got potentially got hurt in this issue. Um, but right. we have those first first two steps. And one of the other steps, then number three, is you don't talk to anyone about this except for Title IX, compliance, the athletic director. Law enforcement. In law enforcement. Yeah. You know, again, again, not you didn't want to bring in the Swim Sam article too much. But again, it was, it's a short article, you know, and... Auburn did not return our calls. Of course not. And again, so, like sometimes when we read that, we, right. we think movies and we think, oh, well, they're hiding something. It's like, no, they're not talking to the New York Times. You think they're going to talk to Swim Swim. They're, they're not right. talking to anyone because they need to have their investigation in a row. They can't slip up and say anything. And same for the coach. Like, well, he kept on doing X, Y, or Z, whatever he was kept on doing while they're letting them participate. I'm sure he's following whatever the university guidelines were, because again, when you, when you're, when you're thrown into a crisis situation, the last thing you want to be doing is like just thinking of stuff off the cuff. And that's why, again, these protocols are laid out in place. Right. And I think, I mean, look, the, it's worth discussing. I, I, I would say my advice to anybody would be um, to, 
to follow protocols. I guess if you didn't have a protocol about exclusion, I probably would pick a fight on that again, because I believe in that morally, but, but other than, other than, than that, um, the stuff about title nine office, um, law enforcement, I gather that that has to be consistent throughout. And actually I was thinking about this article in the context of safe sport, um, because I was thinking like, well, aren't we all mandated reporters? But interestingly enough, you know, the Safe Sport Act only mandated reporting uh, knowledge of uh, sexual abuse of minors. So in this instance, um, and we again, we don't know anything, but in this instance, like if you if you, you know, sort of like you're on a college campus and you assume that almost everybody on a college campus is 18 or older, um, if the accused is 18 or older, then you are not a mandated reporter in most situations. There's, there's of course, like some variance state to state. There's probably variance school to school. Um, and, you know, I was thinking about it in the context of, like, uh, as a mandated reporter, I have had to report several times in my life. And I can tell you, honestly, as a process, it's a process with a ton of flaws. It's a frustrating process. It's a time consuming process, but you do it. <laughs> you absolutely do it because um, I think at their core mandated reporting laws do more good than harm because they were designed for, they were designed to combat crimes like this where, you know, people were uncomfortable or like, I don't know if passing along this information is somehow going to like mean I'm condemning somebody, you know, to legal jeopardy. It was like, no, no, you don't, you don't have to make a judgment call, pass the information along. You just do it, right? You just do it. Um, and you let some higher authority figure out what's going on. And as I said, those higher authorities, they're not perfect. I have had, um, as I said, having to put this into practice, it can be incredibly frustrating. You can feel like nothing's happening, um, but you, you do your piece in it. And then I think if, if, if we want to have a broader conversation about how we can, you know, um, build a better system to uh, police crimes like this, to investigate crimes like this, I'm all for it. But this is the system we've got now. Um, and there have been improvements and I think, I think they're worth following. Yeah, definitely. And I think, uh, again, you know, reading the troll board, obviously they're, they're completely against obviously the, the, the kid versus there's no one like coming out like, Hey, he's a great guy. He's done X, Y, and Z. You know, I can't believe they're, they're throwing him under the bus like this. And, and so kind of looking at it from the other side is like, again, if you allowed participation and, and just take that, that athlete and put him into any other activity, uh, you know, again, that, that's that's all someone that's that's a victim of a crime needs. Like, you know, they're being held out. It, it, like even in the swimsuit article, right away. Well, how fast was he? How did he place at nationals? You know, none of that is relevant at all, obviously. But again, that becomes the only thing. And someone that was victimized by this is like they they have to like see this, hear this all the time, kind of a thing. Um, I, again, it's like uh, you know, just even stepping back to any kind of crisis we get into as a coach. That that's when we always you know, have the most troubles when the crisis hits and we try to like right away, we're just going to wing it, you know, right now, let's, let's try to solve something. And it's, and again, that's why when, when things happen like this, 
and, and you have to have the protocols in place. And and I think our, you know, frame where we're always going, what if, and then the worst case, what if this right. is true? What's going to happen from there? Um, and th- that's always where I looked at, like, as far as like when you're bringing recruits onto the team, you know, it's like, this is going to be, most of us are going to be a head coach of a men's and women's program. And if they're in college, you know, there's a, there's a chance there's going to be drinking involved at some point. And they're traveling together and they hang out together and they're drinking. Again, that's that's every coach's nightmare is like something like that is going to happen within their own team like that or to their own team like that. And so having these protocols, again, you're not trying to like step back and, and lose responsibility on this. I mean, obviously, you're going to be held accountable for every person you bring into the program. But you, you want to make sure that you do what's right by everyone involved. That way, if, if this became an accusation that was unfounded, then there's nothing in there that you said, this person did this, this, this. You just had them stop participating until we got to the bottom of it. Not a big deal. And if you found out they, obviously, the, the, if the person was guilty in some way, then right away is like we, we've done our our part to make sure that this was stopped. And, and there was, you know, by by law, it was, you know, gone through due process. Yeah. Exactly. And, and looking again at, stepping back even further like with recruits or, or with kids in your own team the, the hard part is you, you basically never know when when to all of a sudden stop and call this in like all right they, they got an underage drinking ticket or something like that or you know they're a little loud around in aggressive in conversation with people again all these are little things and then all of a sudden i right. uh, got aggressive and there was a fight and then okay there's and then again there's there's usually like a small trail, like like smaller breadcrumbs in a sense. They kind of lead up to the bigger thing. And at some point, they're going to call you in and say, how come you didn't stop on this offense? How come you didn't stop on this offense? And then as a coach, you've got to live with that for the rest of your life because in a sense, not in a sense, they're, they're absolutely correct. They're absolutely correct, but we're not really trained always to see what, what really are red flags, what is just – behavior like this. And and I'm thinking that because a lot of us are getting to the point where we get to alumni meets now and alumni, we always come back like, Hey, do they still do X, Y, and Z? They still, it's like, it's called hazing now. They, no, we don't do that. And right, if I hear about Boston that, college, I know we said we weren't going to talk about it. Yeah, but, um, but exactly. It, yeah. It's, it's exactly right. It's like, because that becomes step one of something that could become bigger. And even if it wasn't like a direct trail, there's enough where everyone will go, why didn't you do something about that earlier? And whether you saw it or not, it's like, it's, it's still going to be on you. And so you, you have to live with yourself, obviously. And um, you have to, you know, protect your team, obviously. And you have to protect the university as well. But I think the biggest thing, like you and I are willing to die on the hill of, you're just you're just done until we can figure out what's going on. Whether I like the person, have it, don't like it. It's like, well, I've known them since they're two years old. And obviously they could never do this. You're stopping. That, that's all there yeah. is to it. Uh, and, and, Again, because even if I, you know, lost my job or something, at the end of the day, I've got to live with myself. Yeah, I, mean, I, 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 again, I made the moral argument, but even as you were talking about it, I think the secondary, like, just look at this situation. Okay, so if you want to be like just um, a win at all costs person, you know what? Again, we don't know what happened at Auburn. We don't know you know, when and if Ryan Walkenberg can do anything. Like, I, I really don't want to get into that because we don't know uh, what he knew, when, and and whatever. But I'm just talking about a hypothetical, similar situation. Do you want to be the coach who didn't exclude somebody 
And then it splashed on Swim Slam several months later that that person got arrested and you knew that information and you let them stay on your team. Like I, from a competitive standpoint, even, I think that's dumb. It's just not, it's not a good idea. Um, so it's, so it's both amoral in my opinion, but I also think it's, it's just, it's just a poor uh, long-term decision for your, for your competitive success. Um, it's short-sighted to, 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 to keep things going that way. Yeah. It's again, it's swimming if, if because as right. a school record holder, you're not going to get a raise. You're not going to get accolades. You're not going to make a little, you know, name the pool after you for that. You, you have one kid on the team that gets an underage drinking violation there's a good chance you're going to get fired. You know, again, right. so there, the, the risk reward is always you take care of business. I don't, I don't know the coach. I don't know the, much of the situation other than I read about this. Is My first thought was I'm sure the coach is doing exactly what he's been told to do. Yeah. And you just follow that along. You don't talk about this outside of the athletic department or to the law enforcement, and that's it. And so right. on the outside looking in, it's like, well, he covered up because he didn't say anything. It's like, what's he supposed to say? Yeah. If he's doing his job and he's actually being fair to all the people involved, exactly. he said nothing. And you don't right. know what he's, what he's done and what he hasn't done. Um, yep. as, as unless you are, right, him, his athletic director, in-campus police, or, mm-hmm. you know, local law enforcement. Like, you right. don't know. Um, yep. So, all right. I think we're ready to move on from this one. Let's, um, let's talk about... Uh, renowned communist McGee Moody uh, advocating for collective action of workers. What do you think, Joel? I, I read it a little bit differently. I didn't look at it as collective action for workers. <laughs> I thought it was like, let's somehow put a governor on ourselves a little bit, you know, so the engines just don't have to keep running so darn hot. <laughs> That's, I know, I, I know McGee a little bit. Um, we haven't talked very much in recent years. That's me teasing McGee about politics. Um, yeah. I think very much he is not voting for. Uh, let's just say he's not he's not voting Democrat, as far as I can tell. Um, <laughs> yeah. But he can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, he would be probably pretty annoyed to be called a socialist. But I I do think his. Suggestion here. We're going to get let me get into the suggestion so we can start talking about it and, and not just tease it. Um, he's on the Brett Hawk podcast, and I'm going to paraphrase a bit here. But I think what he was suggesting was uh, both him and Brett were sort of ruminating on some of the misery that they put themselves through coaching in the right. SEC as head coaches. And McGee was <laughs> suggesting, like, what if we had gotten together as coaches and just like just the same way that college coaches basically made a recruiting dead period. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in the same vein of this. The College Swim Coaches Association uh, made some recruiting dead periods. The idea being like, we should have coaching dead periods. We have like a long weekend built into the season that just we've all agreed, like we're not going to hold practice. We're not going to hold team activities. You know, you get Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and you can go do something with your family, you know, in October or November or somewhere in the heart of a collegiate season and not have that feeling like I'm taking this time off. But, you know, down the road at Auburn, like they're full tilt right now and they're, and they're getting an advantage over us and all that piece. So I want to get your reaction first, Joel, just to sort of the structure of the suggestion here. Um, and then maybe maybe we'll get into you know, uh, some of the mechanics of it. 
Yeah, I know a lot of coaches that, that basically, you know, take that approach where they're like, hey, if you're not willing to do it, I am. I'll take your job. I'll, I'll, right. I'll grab it. You make it six figures, I'll do that. Don't worry about it. Right. And a, a lot of these coaches I know that are willing to do that, you know, that they don't have families. You know, the, the swimming's their life. That's great, good for them. They're, they're excellent coaches. They, they decide not to have children. They decide either not to get married or they end up getting divorces or whatever it was. But they're like, this is what I do. This is who I am. I pull, put 100% in it. And so it's kind of like, you know, it's hard for me to argue with that. I mean, they are willing to do it. Um, but I think that's, again, where, where it comes down to is I've seen myself that the health risks I put myself into by, by working, 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 working and not taking these these mandatory breaks that I needed. And I think in the end, it's it's kind of like COVID where all of a sudden you're going to we're going to come out and we're going to see um what really was needed and what really was not needed. And I think us, and we've talked about this a lot on our other podcasts, is us being rested and ready to go and, and dealing with uh, all the things that athletes will bring to your doorstep, as well as coaching a practice and being on the road and things like that, that if we're not rested and ready to do that, then, then that's where the mistakes come in. And that's where the, um, that's usually when we're at the lowest point of our coaching. And so, yeah, I, I understand what he's saying, but I also understand where people are like, I'm willing to give up everything to get an Olympian. I'm willing to give up everything to get a world record holder. Um, and this, this is my life. This is what I do. And so, uh, again, it's, it's kind of how sport is, is evolved or devolved in, around us. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something deeply cultural, even just in the sport of swimming, in this. And uh, I would love to – the reason why I wanted to highlight it is because um, – you know, I, I really actually, I really believe in what McGee is saying, and I believe in it more um, in terms of cultural change. And I, I, you know, I witnessed this in my own life. Um, I, I now consider that I had the great fortune. Well, I, I've always considered it a great fortune, but in this aspect, I, I have started to consider a greater fortune of um, marrying my wife and having my wife be somebody from outside of the sport of swimming. And I know you've got the same uh, great fortune, Joel. And part of it was like when we got together and even around uh, me exercising and some of the habits I had in the beginning, just having another person who was there with me all the time that was just like, what are you doing? Like, what, why would you do that? You know, at challenging things that I just went, well, that's just what you do. Like, man, it was stuff like, I, th I think very early on in our relationship, you know, like I would get, um, I was a young man, right. I was 23 years old. I would get frustrated with something. Maybe it would be, uh, uh, fitness related. Maybe it wouldn't. And I would like punish myself with a workout and she'd be like, why, like, what, why are you doing that? And it, I, th for me, it had come in, come out of the sport of swimming. It was like, the idea uh, being like, you just had to be, you had to be tough in that way. The only way to get out of a bad situation was to outwork your competition. Like that self punishment um, ethos was so, so strong. And I think it translates over into coaching. And as you say, just like an idea that, you know, whenever I get more, like personal resources in life. I need to just invest them right into um, swimming. I've come to see over time that I think, 
and I said this earlier, that the, that that's short-sighted. Even if your goal is competitive success, I think the way that a lot of people are doing it is short-sighted. I, I travel around um, and, uh, and go see swim coaches and talk to swim coaches. Um, to me, a lot of them just seem like they're dealing with a, a low level exhaustion or maybe a high level of exhaustion constantly. And they don't realize the effect that has on them. Right. They realize the effect that has like on, on uh, the efficiency. It's like if you're in college and you pull an all nighter, you know, cram studying for the test, you probably would have just been better off getting eight hours of sleep. Right. (laughs) Because your brain's not going to be functioning right the next day. And I I think a lot of people do it the reverse in coaching. They go, how can I squeeze a little bit more out of myself? And then over time you have less and less to squeeze, you know, but you're not where you want to be competitively. So you keep trying to squeeze yourself. Like I I just don't think it really works. And I'm, I'm self-conscious as I'm saying this, that like some of my clients are, um, are going to think that that's, that's what I'm saying about them. So I just, I just as a test, um, Rob, if you're listening to this, I, I think you're like a mutant. Um, you're somehow resistant <laughs> to, to working harder, um, than, than pretty much everybody else. And, uh, Matt Crispino at, at Princeton, you're like the, the fittest, uh, man in division one college swimming. So I, I don't think you have to worry about this either, but I, but I see it broadly in the culture. So wait, wait to take the listening audience from 12 down to just two like that. Nicely done. Just we're going to keep on <laughs> narrowing the field. So eventually it's just you and I talking. I just want to find out if those guys are listening. Actually, Rob, I know you're listening. Let's, yeah, well, let's see if Matt's listening. Anyhow. There's great cast uh, so I, too. One thing I, I remember when I uh, started coaching, I was talking, I like to talk. One of the things I like about you know college coaching is that you, know, you have coworkers, you know, even though they're in other yeah. fields, they're still coaching. And coaching is, is coaching. And I remember talking to the wrestling coach once, and he was like, you know, it's, it's a young man's game. Like, what do you mean? It's like this, this coaching stuff, it's, it's kind of a young man's game. It's like you, you basically – and I, I see this with a lot of the kids I used to – kids, adults now that, that I used to coach that now coach as well. And the amount of energy they have for, like, being at these meets – then getting on swim swim and, and downloading YouTube clips and finding out who has the world record holder and X, Y, and Z. It's just, it's so much. And they'll send me this stuff. And it's like, it exhausts me just getting the text to much less actually following how much that they're following. And then you look at also like on deck where these, these coaches were like in the wrestling, they're going up and down, they're screaming, they're yelling, they're falling. It's like, is that really for the kid? Or is that just a little show for a little performance for the parents in the stands? What's, what's going again? They're like, the amount of energy to devote 100% like that, um, it, it's, it definitely makes it kind of a young person's game in that regard. And, and so um, I, I think that's the idea, again, is like when you can keep on throwing, when you're especially when you're young and you've got all that time where you don't mind like coaching until 11 at night or whatever meet goes to, then you go out and you hang out with your friends for three hours and you're up at six the next day. You kind of get into this idea that you can do this. You know, I keep right. on doing this rhythm like this. And it, it obviously you, you can't at some point. At some point, other things start to come in. And at other points, you start to get more perspective about life, too, as well. And I think that's what helps us as, as coaches, too, is, again, when, when you've got a big picture idea where, where you understand that this isn't all about it. And uh, the same coach was telling me about basically he said the trick for college coaching was getting those kids to believe that your sport is 100 percent the most important thing. Well, the whole time you kind of realize that it's really not 
you know, the, there's lessons in it that you want to be 100% important, but the sport really isn't. But you need to convince them it's 100% so they commit and they give, because if they're not giving 100%, they're not going to get back what they need as well. And I think right. I told you a story, like when I was, uh, when I swam my last year, um, last year swimming, we were at Cleveland State. And like, I walked out the wrong door. And so like, you know, I've got like two more ups or something like that, walked out onto the street and I was locked out because it's, you know, yeah. it's Cleveland I know exactly the door you're talking about, by yeah. the way. <laughs> and, and so again, it's th- three inches of steel between you and like sobbing and people just overwhelmed by the swims and going crazy and things like that. And on the outside, just people going to Dunkin' Donuts, people are homeless, people that are like going to work, people just going about their day. And so I right. think that's, I guess, it's kind of a good metaphor for the idea. Again, when you're, when you do that, that kind of lifestyle, like you're at the meet, then you're looking at YouTube and things, it becomes so insular. You get so separate from everything else that this becomes the biggest thing ever that all of a sudden, like everything is, is such a blown out of proportion deal because you, you lose perspective when you're inside of it. And when you're inside of it, you're working 80, 90, hundred hours a week, no problem. And there's nothing else kind of coming in except for whatever's there. And so it, Again, sometimes like when you say it, it's like, well, that sounds really good. You're giving 100 percent for the kids. But then it's like, well, are you? You know, again, is it you're you're giving 100 percent to the activity. You're, you're completely invested in the activity and everything else kind of fades away. And I, I just realized that when I was, you know, took four or five years off of coaching and was taking care of my kid through COVID. Well, you know, we, we'd be at a party or something like that. I'd be like, you know, I can make any of these people faster as a swimmer. But um I don't know a way I can make six figures. <laughs> you know, I don't. Right. I don't know how. I, I don't know how I'm going to fix the garage door. I, I can tell you how to fix a breaststroke pullout. Yeah, but again, right. it's like so. Our, our our area of expertise is so small and such a, a silly area in the grand scheme of things. You know that it, it becomes one of those things where you you remove yourself. And that's when all of a sudden you realize it's a house of cards. It comes crumbling down. You devoted like 80, 90 years of just knowledge pursuit that really is kind of. Uh, pretty small. Yeah. See, I have a, in response to all that, I mean, I I have a a needle that I'm always trying to thread. Um, And I think about this a lot with the college uh, groups in particular that I work with. I think that where we could really improve um, college swimming is I think that there is at, at the core of the sport, a message about, you know, the process of trying to be your best in the sport of swimming is a process that will have an impact on every other thing you want to try to accomplish in life. But where it's getting lost is when we all got, I think, a little bit intellectually lazy and we went, well, the process of, you know, out competing these other people is really like, we're, we're not going to try to innovate. You know, we all have the same um, amount of time. We're just going to try to squeeze more into the same right. amount of time. And I think that, that I would recommend and what I always try to do is I try to set some pretty common sense boundaries on my time because I have other things that I want to do besides work in life. And then I try to figure out how to, um, do a lot more or make a lot more progress in the time that I have uh, set aside for something. And I, I think that, um, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of progress to be made there. And sometimes 
you're just not going to make that progress unless you introduce some constraints and some boundaries. And if I bring it back to what McGee is saying, I think that if everybody had just, you know, gotten together and planned like, Hey, we're going to have a three day weekend for coaches in the middle of this season. Well, then that's just there. It's an immovable rock. You've got to plan around it. Um, I was at uh, uh, Johns Hopkins on Monday. Um, a lot of people don't know this, uh, but Johns Hopkins traditionally, as you know, right, powerhouse in Division Three yep. swimming. They have a six-lane, 25-yard pool. That's it. Right. It's a six-lane, right. old, crappy – sorry, they're sorry, Johns Hopkins. Um, they're, they're doing some nice renovations to it, but it's a six-lane, 25-yard pool. And I was talking to their coach, Scott Armstrong, about it. And he's just saying, like, yeah, but you know what? I'm so much more creative coaching here than I was at Stanford. You know, he was an assistant coach at Stanford, and he had the Avery Aquatic Center. He could have everybody train in their own lane um, if he wanted to. And now he's got to be super creative. And, yep. you know, I, I, I just think let's let's put some constraints on ourselves. Let's get together and put some constraints on ourselves so that it's not the answer isn't always, well, who can, you know, coach 366 days a year because it's not right. sustainable, you know? Exactly. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. I think um, I, I, I always looked at it too, like kind of that's the w- why I kind of went down the route of, of really kind of working a lot on technique and things is because I knew I just was never going to work in a facility that was unlimited pool time, unlimited nutritionists, unlimited coaching staff, unlimited X, Y, and Z, just because it's, it's not something we can do. And so if I know for a fact that I can't have the same pool time as someone else, then we have to be smarter with the pool time we have. And I think that's, again, why I've done too much with coaching is we always look at it as time as the reservoir we're just going to keep dipping into. Like, oh, I'll just spend another five more hours at this office and that'll, that'll fix the problem. And that's five more hours less that I'm with my family or whatever like that. It's your and most valuable thing. resource. Save it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and then, no, uh, yeah, I just, I just keep on spending it on stuff. And, and that's the thing is, is again, when you start to limit your time, then you're like, I've got to be smarter with my time. You know, I can't have right. things scattered throughout. I need to be organized. If I have a six lane pool, I need to have know what people are going to be doing. You know, it's not like they can just wander in and, you know, in 30 minutes, get in the water and then we'll get going because we can just move the pool time back. So we have pool time from then until then. That's it. We need to hit it and go. And uh, right. and again, start to use what you have available to you. Um, but again, I, I understand, you know, the, the, the concept for people like, you know what, I'm willing to sacrifice all this stuff uh, t- to be able to coach all those weekends. I'm not giving up that three day weekend. Uh, I think that at the end of COVID, I saw a lot of kids that swam really, really well. And, and they weren't training every day and not, not saying that that's going to be the norm or that's the, the you know, I, I, I'm not going to hang my hat on not training to beat someone, but I, I'm saying that again, I think sometimes that that break that the kids have um, is, is pretty needed and the break we need, you know, we, we have to figure out a way to take it and, and not feel guilty about it. Um, mm-hmm. What I've seen, whenever I see coaches about to burn out, they're always pretty angry that the kids aren't giving the same amount that they're giving into the sport. And I think once, once they start feeling that way, then I think it's, it's, it's about they're, they're almost done coaching. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of time constraints, I know you're coming up against one, Joel. So I want to say thanks. Uh, Thank you. Thanks for, 
Thanks for being here. Thanks everybody for listening. CD Swim Coach on Facebook, Swim Brief Podcast at gmail.com, Christy underscore coach on Instagram, magic5.com slash the swim brief. And I will be back again later this week. Um, thank you everybody. See you soon.